If you have your Bible, turn with me to, to, to a couple of verses we'll look at, primarily 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 2. I want to give you all a, um, a picture of what we've got coming up. We've been working on this for a number of weeks, and we're about to, of course, go into the new building. We're, what, six, seven weeks away, August 4th. Now put that down, right? Nine o'clock, August 4th is where we'll, Lord willing, be in this building that uh, we've all been waiting for for quite some time, and some a little longer than others. But August 4th at nine o'clock will be our, no Sunday school, it'll just be our grand celebration of coming into the new building, and dedicating that to the Lord. And then on the 11th, we kick off into a normal schedule um, on that day. And we'll come back and be doing Sunday school and that sort of thing. Now, here's the deal. As we move into a new building, we've got more space. And with more space, we have more responsibilities. And with more responsibilities, some of that comes because we've got, we'll have uh, a, a, a whole new set of people coming into the church. They tell us that when you move into a new building, you typically have about a 15 to 20% growth just because you're in a new building. And so we'll have a lot of new faces coming to us, and we want to make sure that we can love people and serve people, and God wants to use you to do that, I'm sure. So here's how we're, what we're going to do. Here's what we've been working on and something that is brand new information. You're the first ones to get to hear it. On, uh, coming up on June the 14th, that's a Sunday afternoon. And the 16th, which is a Tuesday afternoon. So Sunday, I think we're going to, I don't know the time, I think we're going to kick off like at 2 o'clock or so. We're going to have an open house at the new building. While the building will not be completed, and while there's some areas that certainly you won't be able to go into because it might be pain or whatever, but on the 14th, we know most of everyone here is going to be anxious and curious and excited to see the new building before we move into it. And so on the 14th, that afternoon, or that Tuesday night, if you're not going to be here that Sunday afternoon, you're, you can sign up for 15-minute slots of where you will sign up starting next week of when you want to come see the building. Now you say, well, why is it 15-minute slots? Well, because we don't have enough parking, number one. So we've got to get people in and out. If we said, hey, Sunday at 2, and nobody showed up, well, y'all can be parking down at the, at the drugstore on the corner, and we can't accommodate that. So we're doing that primarily because of parking. And also, here's the neatest thing. I've never heard a church do this, and I don't even know whose idea it was, but collectively we've been working on it, and it's going to be awesome. We feel it impo it's important for everyone to know, even if you're not working in a certain area of the church or have someone that's involved in that area of the church, for you to know everything that we do as a church. And so what we're doing is, when you sign up, you come for in 15-minute intervals, you'll come into the church and you're going to have a tour guide who will take you from section to section. So, for instance, you'll meet out on the front and we'll talk about what we're trying to do with our parking and we need parking attendants and so forth. And when you get there, by the way, I forgot this part, when you get there, we're going to give you a little card that has each of the areas of the church where you might want to serve. And some of you are already serving and you might say, well, you know, I've been doing that for a long time. I've been looking for an opportunity to get out. Well, here's your chance to get out. 
and to get into something else. Some of you say, well, you know, I've been wanting to get involved and serve, but I have no idea how to do that. Well, that's an opportunity for you to figure out how to do it. And so on the 14th, we'll give you this card, and you'll come into the church, and we'll bring you into the foyer and say, here's our greeters, here's how we're doing our welcome center, and here's the tape ministry we have, or the cassette ministry, not even cassette, what do you call them, CD ministry. And here's how, why we're doing what we do and how we do it. And then you'll move to the next section. You'll see, here's our preschool room, rooms. And here's how we're doing preschool. And here's how we do our security. And here's what that looks like. And then we'll take you over to the children's wing. And here's what we're doing in the children. And here's why we got this indoor playground. And here's how we're doing children's church. And then we'll take you back to the youth. And David Bullock will say, here's how we do our student ministry. And here's how you can be involved if you want. And here's why it's important. And then we'll go over into the fellowship hall and the Sunday school space. And here's why we do discipleship and how we do discipleship. And so, in short, we'll hit every area of the church over about an hour, maybe an hour and a half's time at the most. And that gives you a vision of everything that we do as a congregation. So that you can then tell other people when you're at work, and you, somebody says, well, I've got kids, and you don't have a kid one, you say, well, you know what? Our church has a great children's ministry. Let me tell you about it. And you can tell them about it. Or, hey, you know what? Uh, this is what we're doing in missions. We'll talk about how we do missions locally and who's involved with us and partners that we have locally. And Anyway, it enables you to be able to see the whole church and see the function of the church. Because remember... This new building is not just about having a building. The building is a place of brick and mortar for us to be able to to minister to other people and to also be ministered to. And we want you to be able to see everything that we're doing. So that's going to be on June the 14th, our open house and ministry fair. July. That was when was the 14th of June? Last week? Y'all missed it. And so because you missed it, July the 14th will be the date. And I wasn't there either, but that's okay. We're going to make it up July the 14th. So the 14th was a Sunday afternoon and then that Tuesday night. And you come and bring your family or maybe you're thinking about being a part of Luke 418 Fellowship. It's a great, great time for you to come and see what all we're doing as a congregation. And that way it's going to, you're going to be excited about moving in the building. And then when you get in, you'll have a better idea of what, what all that we're doing. So uh, praise God for Davidson High School, but praise God also for Solly Road and uh, God enabling us to move into our own, own facility over there. Amen? So uh, you'll be hearing about this for weeks up until July the 14th. Now, look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And we'll start there, and then we'll flip over to 1 Corinthians, but just for a moment. Ephesians 2.10. Paul's writing, and he says, For we, that's us, me and you, are his, that's God, okay? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Y'all, this is an absolute, integral part of an understanding of who we are in Christ. You see, this verse... What, God, what, what, the, what it's saying is, is that you, each one of us as individuals, collectively as a group, that we are God's workmanship. Now the word workmanship in the Greek, in the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The word workmanship comes from an interesting Greek word. 
The word is poema, which is where we get our English word poem. So when you really look at this, what it's saying is, is for you are God's poem. Now, how is a poem written? Someone who writes true poetry does not just sit down and they just put a bunch of words on the page. No, what do they do? They start and they begin to to make it rhyme. But before they even make it rhyme, they decide what is it that they're trying to say? What is the message of this poem? And then they begin to construct that with purpose so that every part of it rhymes perfectly while it tells a story. That's what a good poet does, right? And what God has done in your life, regardless if you recognize it or not, is when he created you, and by the way, it says before you were even started, God created you as his poem with a purpose, with a storyline. And with that storyline, he didn't just throw it together and say, here's their life, here's this person's life, this is what I want, and then they go figure it out. No, it says that he created you as, a, as his workmanship, the handiwork of his hands, created you like a poet writing a beautiful poem that tells a story with a purpose that's perfectly symmetrical. That's what he's done in each of your lives. He created you with a storyline and a purpose and symmetrically placed you as his workmanship. Boy, how different that is than what so many have been taught. Of there is no God and we're just thrown together and we live life on our own accord. No, instead, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? What did he create you as his poem to do? There it is. Created for what? Say it with me. Good works. Now, created in Christ Jesus for good works, look at this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has created you as his workmanship, as his poem, in Christ Jesus for good works with a purpose that we should walk in them. But he still gives us a choice if we walk in them or not. You see, he's created you one way or the other. He created you with a plan and a purpose one way or the other. Now, just because he created us to do something doesn't mean that we do it. It doesn't mean that we fulfill the task and the plan that he has for our lives, right? We're free to choose that. And even though his spirit within us pulls us and draws us and says, do this or do that, or I've created you for this, or gives us a great desire to to do this or do that, that doesn't mean that we fulfill that plan that God has in our life. But today what we're talking about is how you are gifted to serve. How you are his workmanship. That God does have a plan for your life. And what I find is most people don't really know what they're called to do. Is that true? Most people say, well, I wish I could sure sing like Ed Lacy. That guy goes overseas. He loves the Lord. He's an evangelist. It is clear his calling. He is gifted to go share Christ to the other planets, to the other planets, to the other countries. And Ed Lacey, hey, Superman, he might be doing that too. I don't know where he goes when he goes off. 
But then he can come and he can sing. I mean, I look at someone like that and I say, I wish I could do some of the things that he can do. I look at Brother Fred, you know, it's like when Brother Fred was talking to me about coming here. I said, Brother Fred, I can't fill your shoes. Come on. He said, I, and right over there at IHOP at Tillman's Corner, he goes, I know you can't. Well, that makes you feel good. <laughs> but he didn't stop. There. He goes, that's why you gotta, you got to fill your own shoes. Because the truth is, God didn't create me to be Fred Wolf or Ed Lacey or Ed Keys or David Bullock, right? God created me to be who I am. To fulfill what I can do. And not to try to be like someone else. God didn't create the, me as the poem to be like Brother Fred or to be like Brother Ed or to be someone else. Even though I might like to be able to do some of the things that they're able to do. And I know in this place today there's many of you. And this is real life that you say, well, you know, I, I, I wish it's easy for you to say you're up there speaking. I, I can't even talk to five people. Well, listen, we all have our own giftedness. This is what I, we've got to understand. Each of us are created to be able to do a specific, unique calling that God has placed inside of you for the purpose that He's created you to be. And that is to love Him and to love other people. And in order to love Him, we must love other people. You can't love, and, uh, you can't love God and not love other people. It's impossible to, be, to do that. You see, when you love God, God's love flows through you and into others. And God, for whatever reason, uses us to love other people. And today when we talk about, in a moment, about how you're gifted to serve, the idea is not just to lay your life down, even though that's a part of it, to serve someone else. The idea is you serve other people because you love other people. And you love other people because you love God, and God flows through each of us. And you're his perfect point. Not a mistake. You may say, well, I don't have anything that has any value to anybody else. Don't kid yourself. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. And there's some who have more limelight than others and certainly some gifts to be able to stand and speak. People say, well, you know, or sing or whatever. It's easy to stand on the stage and have the light. And you say, well, people think, oh, he's so gifted. No. I'm no more gifted than what you are and what you're capable of doing, which might be to administrate, keep things organized. If I don't have someone administrating in my life, I am a train wreck. Or it might be the gift of hospitality, to bake cakes and to show people when they, when they come to make them feel welcomed and warmed. What a great gift that is. You're the one that makes people want to come back. You're the one that makes people feel loved. Or whatever the gifts may be, and we'll look at these this morning. Every gift, and by the way, when you got saved, God placed a gift inside of you. Everybody here has some kind of at least one what we call spiritual gift that lies within you. You know, I like football. Many of you do too, and I know there's a lot of Alabama fans, and not just to always choose Alabama, but I'm more familiar with them. But A.J. McCarron is their quarterback, right? Won a couple of BCS championships, fantastic quarterback. If A.J. McCarron, if Nick Saban said to A.J. McCarron starting up this fall, hey, A.J., you know, I got a good idea. I'm a little bored. Well, I don't like how we're doing business. I want you to be the left tackle. 
and I'm going to take our left tackle. I want him to be quarterback. You know, I know he's six foot six and 350 pounds. He'll make a great quarterback. Now, he won't be able to move, but hey, nobody's going to be able to tackle him. He can just stand there. It's going to be great entertainment for the, for the fan base. Right? How ludicrous that sounds, right? You see, just like in a football game or on a football team or any kind of team, a business or whatever, we have to play within the skill set that we have. And when we create a team of everybody serving in the right place at the right way, then you got all of a sudden a machine. I mean, something that just works. Something that rolls out victories. Something that just, I mean, everybody's working together as one. And that's what I want us to look at over at 1 Corinthians for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about this over in Romans as well. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter and so there's no need for us to flip all over the place. I'll try to see if we can look at this a little more uh, in detail based on what Paul has to say in Corinthians. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So he's writing to the church in Corinth, and evidently they were ignorant about spiritual gifts. Some, I'm sure, understood it, but many didn't. And they were all getting confused about how does the church work together and how has God placed this gift within and what's he created for purpose. And they're confused. And Paul says, you know what, enough of this. Let me, listen, don't be ignorant. Let me tell you a few things so that you're not ignorant. And then he goes on and look at verse uh, 4 with me. We'll start. We'll skip down to that for time's sake. Paul says, there are diversities of gifts. In other words, that word diversities means various kinds. There's allotments of gifts. Okay? There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences in ministries. Children's ministry, youth ministry, senior adult ministry, women's ministry. There's all kinds of ministries. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities but it is the same God who works all in all so though I might be involved in one area it doesn't mean that God's any less involved in another area and that's one of the reasons we want you to see the whole church and understand the whole church is because it's the same God the same Jesus and I know we get this but do we really grasp it that the same God, the same Lord, the same Jesus is active in the preschool ministry just as he is in discipleship or just as he is in, in missions serving locally and across the country and around the world or just as he is in administration in the office or just as he is serving meals on a Wednesday night or just as he is in helping a widow. You see, each one of those, while they may look different and they are different, they're all the same in serving Jesus Christ. So one's not greater than the other. So whatever area that God has called you to serve in, listen, it's not any better or greater than another area. And though you might feel like it is a lesser gift, hey, that's not any less important than another area because it's all the same God who works in all of us. It's God working in you. And y'all, there's nothing like God working in someone. Now, I go to Alabama games. I'll probably hit three or four of them a year, right? And I love to go. It's a lot of fun to go. 
But I'll tell you what I love to do, too, is sit on the couch with golden flake potato chips, French onion dip, and a cold Coca-Cola. And sit in the Lazy Boy and watch games all day long. But I'll be real honest, having been an athlete, it's a lot more fun when you're on the field. And it's fun to sit in the stands, but it's a lot more fun to be on the sideline. It's a lot of fun on the sideline because you're in the uniform, but it's way more fun to be actually on the field. And when God saved you and created you, he called you and he gave you a gift. In Christian life, as a true follower of Christ, there are no, Christianity is not a spectator sport or activity. God never wants us just to sit in the stands and cheer someone else on. God doesn't want us to sit in the stands and, or at home and watch someone else and cheer them on. And yeah, hey, I'm a fan. I'm with the team. And all of that may be true. But the true team is the one that's out on the field. And God calls every one of us not to be a spectator of his work, but to be actively involved with him in the work. And the work's not just in the church. The work's in the community. The work's everywhere you go. And God uses those gifts across the spectrum of life, from a grocery store to the bank to wherever we may go. But the idea is, God doesn't want anyone in this place today to be sitting on the sideline. Instead, he's saying, will you come and play in the game? An active participant in his work. Now, it says in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, look at this, for the profit of all. Manifestation is, means evidence. So the evidence of the Spirit. In other words, God's Spirit showing evidence in each one of us is for the profit of all. So when God gave you a spiritual gift upon your salvation and called you, hey, I want you to actively serve other people. I am your, you're my hands. I'm working through you. When God did that, he did it, look at that, verse 7, for the profit of all. So when you use your gifts and your talents and God uses you, listen, it profits everybody else. Everybody in this room gets profited because the body of Christ begins to work as one, as a true unit. It's kind of like this. My mom loves to put together puzzles. And I don't know why she goes and gets these hard puzzles that it all looks the same in certain areas of the picture. And she'll take weeks to put together a puzzle. And Pam and I will go by the house and we'll look over and here's all these pieces and we might look and sit down. You know, they, they capture you. Sit down for, I'll put a few pieces together. Next thing you know, you're, it's two hours and you're still on the same five pieces. But these puzzles, she gets like scenes around Mobile Bay and that sort of thing, Fair Hope, and they're beautiful. They're really pretty pictures. And she puts these puzzles together. And within these puzzles, right, there's always the more difficult puzzles has scenes that look just alike. Like yesterday, she was telling me, oh, I bought a puzzle I should have never gotten. I said, why? She goes, because the whole top left is nothing but the same color blue. I don't know why I didn't see that in the picture. 
But you see, here's the deal. If she puts the whole puzzle together and it makes a great picture, you can tell exactly what it is and it looks great and it's going to be pretty and she can give it away or hang it or tear it up and start back over, whatever she wants to do with the puzzle, right? But one thing is for certain. After that puzzle's put together and she's the creator of the puzzle and she puts it together, as pretty as it is, and as much as you can see what that puzzle picture is of a lighthouse or whatever, the simple truth is this. If one piece is missing, you can tell it. Right? If one piece is missing, it makes the whole puzzle. You say, well, that's a beautiful puzzle, but in your mind you're thinking something's missing. And that's the same with each of us. Our new building is not about the building. Again, I know I've said that. It's not about getting over there. It's not about someone else doing the functions and, the, and you being as great as it is to be a cheerleader and to be a fan of Luke 418's fellowship. Y'all, it's so much bigger than that. It's the Creator God who said, when I created you and saved you, I created you as my poem. And I, gave, I put your life together and I've got gifts for you and a skill set that only you can do. And I'm putting this puzzle together. And when you're not a part of the puzzle, the puzzle still looks great, but there's something missing. And that something is you. Does this make sense? Every piece of the puzzle matters. And every one of you matters in what we're doing as a congregation, as a part. If you decide to be a part of Luke 418 Fellowship, you've chosen this fellowship to be part of and to serve with and as a one body. And collectively across Mobile, each of the churches who are followers of Christ, we're together as a unit. We are the body of Christ, and we serve one another. But it's for the profit of all. And here's the thing. You know, the truth is, none of us want to serve, do we? We kind of do, but we don't. But Jesus said this. When Jesus said, blessed are those, what? It's, or let me start over. It's more blessed to give than to, what? Receive. And the word blessed, that's confusing to me. What does that word even mean, blessed? I don't fully understand that word. Until I go back and look at what the true word meant, and blessed means happy. I understand happy. I mean, I have happy days, sad days. So what Jesus said was happy. It's more happy to give than to receive. Now, when I was eight years old getting the TRX racing set, I don't know about that. When I got it for Christmas, right? That was a happy day when my daddy got me to the racetrack. But as I've become an adult, the truth is this. As we all mature, we begin to understand that real happiness comes when we give. Not just when we receive. And if we're to be happy people consistently, it's not when we sit at home and not help someone else or when we only live for ourselves or when we only live for those people that we love that's around us real happiness comes when we do something for other people unexpectedly or when they don't when we don't have to 
Y'all, take the words of Jesus to heart. Happy are those who give. It's more happy to give than to receive. And so the secret of happiness is not to go buy a boat for yourself. Nothing wrong with that. But it's to turn around and do something for other people. And that's what this idea of gifted to serve is all about. It's doing stuff and living life where God flows through you to help other people. And that's where true happiness comes from. Now, we have to stay in balance and all of that, but, y'all, that's where true joy and happiness comes from. Why? Because that's where, where we begin to tap into the Creator God who created me as His workmanship. I'm His poem. He created me for a purpose that's for the profit of all. And when He creates me and I fulfill that purpose in my life, I'm joyful and happy. When I'm out of sync with Him and do my own thing or live for myself or try to be a part of God and then the part of myself, that's when I'm unhappy. Would you all agree that that's true in your own life? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. The thing is, we just don't understand this because the world bombards us with living for self. And then we got that old nasty flesh inside of us that's all about me and what I want and what I want to do and the heck with everybody else, I want to go do this. And so we battle the flesh that's within us, and then we battle this bombardment of the world te- teaching us and telling us to live for self, and it's about ourself. That's why we need the Holy Spirit of God, which is why the Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 says over and over again, it's the Spirit that's at work within you to do this. It's God who's created you to do this. Because when we're doing it, we're in touch with God. When we're not, we're just, God knows who we are and we know who he is, but we're living for self. Here's a great illustration. I don't know, maybe you've seen this. I know this is hard to see, especially in the back. But in my hand is the most sold product today in the world. It's the banana. There'll be more bananas sold globally today than any product in the world. This banana makes Walmart very happy. You know, we take a banana, and I grew up my whole life, turn around and you want a banana for breakfast, you're going to put on Frosted Flakes or something, and you start to try to open it. And what happens when you do that, right? It starts to split, and sometimes if it's not ready, you got to just kind of get your finger in it and open the banana, right? Because everybody opens a banana this way. But you realize if you go down to Honduras or where bananas really grow, bananas grow this way. We see this as the top of the banana when the truth is that is the top of a banana. Did you all know that? The bottom of the banana is really the top of the banana. It grows like this. And here's the stalk, right? Now, we as humans, we get it in America and we try to peel it and it's hard to peel. But if you watch a monkey in Honduras eat a banana, sometimes we can learn from the most simple things. If you watch a monkey who really isn't even capable of doing what we're capable of doing and you put them in their environment, a a monkey will go over and grab a banana and he doesn't go to what we call the top, he goes to what we call the bottom. And he turns around and he pinches the banana and it peels right off. Have you ever seen that before? Go Google it. 
It's fascinating. You spend hours watching people peel bananas. Because when you pinch the banana on the top like it was created, it pops open. And then you can eat the banana. I did this at a fifth grade graduation the other day. They loved it. So if it works for fifth graders, it will work for 55-year-olds. But you see, here's the deal. We live life like we live, like we see a banana upside down. Because the world teaches us live for self. And we can make it work, but y'all, look at this. It is so hard, much harder to peel. Can you get life done that way? Yeah, you can. But if you live life like God created you, it's easier, it's happier, and it's way more fun once you start being like the monkey. Now, some of y'all can go by home and buy a banana. You're going to try it out tonight. Uh, try it out. Come back and let me know. Hey, I tried that. That really works. But the point I'm making of this whole thing is this. To live for self is what the world teaches. What's upside down living is when you flip it over and do it the way God created it to be done. And that is to serve one another with the gift that God's created you to do. And... As we look at this, it goes on and it, through the rest of the chapter, and we don't have time and we won't get into it, but he goes into this various kinds of, of, of the gifts, and there's a gift of prophecy, there's a gift of interpretation, there's a gift of tongues, there's a gift of administration, there's, I mean, all of these different mercy and all these different gifts that God's created. Then in other places in Scripture, it says that God's called some to be pastors and teachers and apostles, and there's all of these type of gifts. And so there's a variety of gifts that God's created us for. And I don't know what gifts that you have. Maybe you already know. But I bet many of you don't have a clue. You might have an idea and say, I think I might have this gift. I might not, but I don't know how to do that gift. Even if I have that gift, what do I do with that gift? And it gets all confusing and, and all of that sort of thing. There's nothing more important than having you in the right position, just like Nick Saban has A.J. McCarron in the right position. It's the same as God as your coach, so to speak, wanting to make sure that you're in the right position. So some of y'all have taken what's called a spiritual gift inventory. I've got one of them here. What this is, is on the front it says spiritual gifts and calling inventory. Luke 418 Fellowship, gifted to serve. And we've created a logo and a slogan, and today we kick off a new campaign that we'll be talking about the next several weeks of how you are gifted to serve. And if you don't have a clue what your gift is, on the way out today at the back door, when you exit the place, you'll be handed one of these if you want it. Some of you don't want it, or some of you, don't, you already know what you're gifted to do, and you're not worried about it, and you're good to go. We don't want to waste paper. But we've created these and put these together where there's 90 statements. And you sit down and you take this inventory at home. It's kind of fun to do and you fill in the blanks. Now here's what's interesting that we've done with this. Is that once it's, you, you get to this and it says, well, okay, well I have the gift of administration and I have the gift of faith. Okay, that's two of them that's listed. Then right here it tells you about all of the areas not, it's not a complete list, but it's, we tried. 
the different areas of where you can serve within the body of Luke 4.18. And then you flip the next page and you say, okay, well, I have the gift of administration, the gift of faith. And then it's got a chart that tells you, that correlates, here's your gift and here's how the different areas that you could serve within, the local, within Luke 4.18 fellowship. Isn't that neat? So it's not like you just take a, a, a test and, okay, now I know I have the gift of administration. I don't know what to do with that. Instead, we say, you have the gift of administration. Here's how that fits into Luke 4.18 fellowship. Now, what you'll be asked to do is, if you want one of these, take one in the back, and we'll have some available next week. You take these at home. You show up on June the 14th, July the 14th, or the 16th. You sign up. You show up. You show. You see the church. And then as you go through, you're praying. You say, you know what? And as you see the different areas, you say, I have the gift of administration, and I just learned that children's ministry needs some, someone to help administrate behind the scenes, keep up with who the kids are and who's coming and going. I didn't realize they had a need for that, but I have the gift of administration. And you can say, indicate, hey, I'm interested in doing administration within the children's area of the church. You put that in the bucket upon leaving, and then we get back in touch with you. And then we, and if you say, well, I don't have a clue, then myself or David Bullock or, or different ones, uh, Martin and SL, will be there to help you say, figure out where it is that you're best suited, that God's called you and created you on how to serve. So the bottom line is, if you say, I don't have a clue, we want to help you have a clue because we want you to live life right side up and to be able to serve God as he's created you to be. It's that important. That's why we're spending the next four weeks or so on this. You're created and gifted to serve. You know, over when Jesus fed the 5,000, it's a closing story. He was feeding the 5,000. There was all these people. It was actually about 15,000 people. It was 5,000 men and their families. And you all probably know the story. And the disciples came to him and he said, they said, Lord, we've got to send these people away. Because why? They need something to eat. And we don't have enough food. And what happened? Jesus said, well, what you got? He said, well, we got a boy here. He's got some fish and some bread. He said, well, bring it to me. And he says to them, one of the strongest statements, I think, that we find in the Scripture. He said, you feed them. You do it. And they said, how? We don't have enough. He said, give me that bread, give me the fish. And he thanked God for it, and he gave it back out to the disciples, and they went and distributed it across to 15,000 people off some, some small fish and some bread. You see, what God can do in and through you is greater than what you can do when you hand it over to the Lord and when you offer yourself to him. I want to see those kind of stories take place. We awesome to see each one in this place being used by God to multiply bread and fish, to multiply an area of ministry within the city because you're in tune with God and you've got your life right side up and you're letting God flow through you and through in, 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 into other people because you're his workmanship. Does God still do that today? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you a story. This is how we close. A few years ago, I did an event. Some of y'all probably have heard this story, but I did an event 
that was called the Festival of Hope. Some of y'all were involved. Luke 418 helped with the event. And in that event, we gave away uh, 1,000 pair of shoes. We gave 12,000 meals away. We had a big children's fun area, and we gave 10, no, I don't remember, thousands of pounds of groceries away, and we gave, uh, we did 700 haircuts, and we did HIV testing. We had, uh, gosh, I don't remember, I think it was 1,200 volunteers, 2,100 volunteers, I think it was. It was a glorious day. It was awesome. But on that day, we also had a huge tent down there at Ladd Stadium as a part of the day that was where people could come and get free haircuts. And I had a lady named Amber who was in charge of the haircut tent. And Amber owned a small little salon here in the city. And Amber had, was struggling to keep the doors open. She had some family issues. And the event was the end of January. And she came to me at the beginning of December. And she said, Joe, listen, I, I can't do this. My family's a wreck. My business is a wreck. There's no way I can organize to be able to cut this many people's, uh, give them haircuts. I don't know what to do. I just need to give up. You need to get someone else. I'm not capable. And I said to her, I said, well, Amber, listen, don't give up yet. Stay doing what you're doing. Let's just get you some help. And so we got a few people involved with her, and t- together they began to go out, and they went to J.C. Penney, and they sent a bunch of hairstylists, and this group sent a bunch of hairstylists, and this beauty school sent a bunch of people. And next thing we know, we had over 80 beauticians and barbers from the city volunteered. We opened the gates... And they ended up cutting over 800 heads of hair in three hours. We're the largest barber shop in the country for three hours. Well, we also had the shoes that we're giving away, and a friend of Amber showed up. We had asked people, don't bring shoes. We'd already had uh, Samaritan's Feet had partnered with us. All that was organized. Please don't bring anything. But a lady showed up with a bag of shoes and came over to Amber when she got there in the midst of chaos of thousands of people, 12,000 people, and said, Amber, I brought some shoes. And Amber said, well, just put them over there. And they put it right behind the tent. Well, the whole three hours goes by, and Amber had not cut one head of hair because she was administrating and organizing everything. And so at the end of the three hours... Everybody was going home, or had gone home, and Amber was sweeping up the hair from 800-plus haircuts, you can imagine. And she's cleaning, and she's in this massive tent that's at least from wall to wall here big, that biggest tent down at Ladd Stadium. And she's cleaning up by herself when a lady comes walking in, middle-aged, And she's got on a uniform where she had been working, I think as a housekeeper, maybe the hotel or something. And she walked in and she said, hey, I'd like to get my hair cut. And Amber said, I'm sorry, we're already closed. She goes, well, can I get some shoes? And Amber said, shoes have been gone. I'm sorry, you're just, everything's closed down. And the lady looked real sad and she said, well, I hate... I hate that, but okay, I just I had come from work. I got over here as quick as I could to try to get a haircut and some shoes. 
And Amber said, well, I'm sorry. And the lady began to walk away, and it dawned on Amber, what is she doing? Why don't she just cut the lady's hair? So in the midst of this massive tent at Ladd Stadium, she asked the lady to sit down in a metal chair, and she pulled out her instruments to cut to do the lady's hair, give her a haircut, and as they began to cut, I don't know why, why women do this, but they begin to tell life stories when they're in that, I guess it's something to have scissors to the ear. I don't get it, but whatever. And the, they're talking, and they're halfway through the haircut when the lady begins to weep and talk about the problems that she had in her life. And Amber, for the first time in her life, began to share Jesus Christ with someone else. And in the midst of that haircut, Amber nervously said, Would you like to receive Christ in your life? And the lady said, I sure would. And so right in the midst of that big tent at Ladd Stadium, after everything had closed down and 800 other people got their hair cut, Amber was sensitive enough, and God opened the door, and she sat down and began to share. The lady stops, and they pray to receive Christ, and upon finishing, the lady's crying, and Amber cries, and they finish the haircut, and Amber says, well, I'm sorry we don't have any shoes. And the woman said, well, that's all right. I got more than I thought I would. I got a haircut, and I got Jesus in my life. And suddenly it dawned on Amber that there was a, about the bag of shoes that had been dropped off five hours earlier before we, while we were setting up. And Amber said, you know what? I think there, somebody brought a bag of shoes. I'm sure they're long gone. But I told her, let me, what size do you wear? Let me see if there's some shoes over here. And she walked around the corner behind the tent. And the lady said, well, I'm a size 8. And here was the bag of shoes still sitting there. And Amber walks out. And she goes, what size? The lady said, I wear a size 8. She goes, well, let me see. There are some shoes here. And she pulls out. Here's a dress pair of shoes, size 8. She reaches in the bag, and here's a pair of sandals, size 8. And she reaches in the bag, and here's another pair of dress shoes, size 8. And she reaches in the bag, and here's a pair of tennis shoes, size 8. And she reaches in the bag, and here's another pair of sandals, size 8. By the time she was done, 12 pair of size 8 shoes. In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, there was 12 baskets of bread left over at the end of the day. Jesus Christ still works in people's lives. Jesus Christ still longs to work in your life. And you're no different than those disciples on that day who said, I don't know what I can do, Lord. How are we going to feed these people? And he said, you feed them, just give me what you got, and I'll multiply it. You see, that's what it is to be in the game, not a spectator. Most people don't get to do this because most people are recipient of God's blessings without giving back. That's the 5,000. But what we're talking about today is, is you being the one where God multiplies it in your hand, your skill and gift, and you be like Amber, where you have 12 bags of boxes of shoes, and you can't even explain what just happened. God's still at work. You are his workmanship.
created in Christ Jesus for good works. We want to help you use those gifts. And those tests on the way out, take them home. Call us if you need to. We're here to help you. And use those gifts, every one of us, 100%. Statistically, researchers say that 25% of those in the local church actually use their gifts. That's 75% not. Could we possibly flip that and have 75% of those from Luke 418 Fellowship using their gifts to the profit of all? Might we hit 100%? Who? Nobody in the country has done that. But I think we can get mighty close. Because there in this room are some great people who love Jesus. And even if you've never served, you don't know how to serve, or you're scared to serve, listen. You say, well, if I go and commit, they're going to have me roped into that children's ministry for the rest of my life. Been there, done that. You're probably right, yeah. But here's how we do it. And this is what we're going to do. Is you make a commitment for three months. Three months. Say, so, you know what? I feel like I can administrate and help in the children's area for three months. Get in there and try it out for three months. And at the end, you say, well, you know what? I'm just out of place. This just isn't for me. Well, that's okay. It's no big deal. We want you to find your place. And sometimes it takes time to do that. But everybody here, God wants to serve through you to someone else. And first step first is a personal relationship with Christ. If you don't, know, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, listen, you're missing out. And I can be as direct as I can be. I don't know how else to put it. Your life is unfulfilled and it's going to stay unfulfilled until you get your life in order where God the creator of you, who loves you and died for you and saved you, and you get him first in your life and become his follower, that's when life begins to change. This morning, I hope that you'll come and receive that gift from God today.